Welcome to episode two of the Graph Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fairholm. It's a simple question with a complicated answer. What does it take to get better at golf? In episode one of the podcast, we spoke to Conrad Ray, the men's golf coach at Stanford University, focusing more on the mental part of that answer, talking about how he gets the most out of his players. In this episode, we're diving into the short game with one of the golf world's leading instructors, Pat Goss. Goss is the director of golf and player development at Northwestern University, but he's also one of the most respected short game teachers in the professional golf, instructing former world number one Luke Donald, past U.S. Open champions Webb Simpson and Gary Woodland, as well as some players who are currently tearing it up on the Corn Ferry Tour, like David Lipsky and Dylan Wu, a couple of guys who are in line to make it to the PGA Tour pretty soon. Goss is as highly as respected as they come in the, in the game of golf, and I think any player at any level can learn a lot by some of the insights that he has to share. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with one of the best in the business, Pat Goss. I kind of wanted to start with uh, some short game specifics because of how knowledgeable you are in, in that part of the game. When you have a good player come to you and they've lost confidence in, in that part of their game, their ability to, to chip and pit, pitch the ball, what are, what are some of the recurring problems that you see in people who have lost confidence? So th- this is interesting, Sean, because one of the things I always joke about is that I really attract people who can't chip. <laughs> and, and that's a little bit true, true in professional golf and, and true in amateur golf as well. And, you know, I just think with the success Luke has had in short game and with some of the coaching we've done, that's, that's obviously become a little bit of our known specialty, my known specialty. So um, I surely have seen plenty of people who really struggled with chipping and funny because initially people will say, I think it's really in my head. And the thing I end up telling them is, you know, it, it wasn't in your head initially, it was in your technique, but now it, it's in both for sure. Because mm. almost all of these people we see, I think we really got misled in short game. I know I did as a kid and being told, well, it's just all touch, you know? So there was almost this concept, well, Sean has magic hands. Pat doesn't. He, Sean has great touch. Pat doesn't. It, it was really sold to us as this innate thing you, you were either gifted with or you weren't. And I think what I've really seen over the years is the ability to have correct techniques so that you are delivering the club in a consistent manner in a way that optimizes your strike and your trajectory is really what short game is all about and ultimately what really leads to touch. So the consistent themes I've seen from people who struggle with their chipping are poor technique, and it's almost always the same mistake, which is ball too far back, handle too far forward, club goes too inside and shut on the backswing, the handle leads too much on the through swing as the spine works backwards, and they swing the club too linearly at the target, exposing too much dig edge and too little loft. It's funny you mentioned that because that was going to be my next question. I just find it interesting that, that so many recreational players, the, the concept of using the bounce is so foreign to a lot of players. Even, even some of the best players in the world can't quite do it consistently. And we're, I think we're, we're all taught, you know, keep your hands ahead of the ball, keep your hands ahead of the ball from, from a young age. And a lot of people kind of equate that to digging in that leading edge and, and the contact can be, can be pretty inconsistent. So how would you kind of go about addressing that from a teaching standpoint? Yeah, and I agree exactly with what you said there. It's, it's what I was told as a kid and still what a lot of people believe. Um, it, in the end, short game, people who struggle with it, Sean, they, they don't get the bottom at the right place using the right part of the sole of the wedge. Their bottom's too far back. 
and they're using too much of the dig edge and you've really got to be precise. It's a good way to dig it out of bad lies. The ball's going to come out hot, um, but you really don't have any room for error when you're exposing that dig edge where that bouncy skim edge will give you some room to move the club through the turf. So I think the first thing most people have to address is just the setup. You know, and we just see setups that expose too much dig. You know, if you get handle forward, a little spine tilt to the right, and the ball towards the back of the stance, you've already exposed the dig edge. And I'd really like to see people get set up in a much more neutral setup. It will use the term a lot, stand to the handle. I almost want you feeling that the handle is running straight up your zipper, straight up your shirt placket, and you've just really turned your spine and the shaft into one unit, feeling much more stacked on top of the ball, less tilt to the right. A lot of times you have to weaken your top hand grip to do that. You know, right away, as soon as you do that setup, you've exposed a lot more bounce by getting that neutral setup. And I think it's okay for the, the club head to, to pass the hands on the way through. I was watching a face-on video of one of your students, uh, David Lipsky, pitching the ball. And I think we're also afraid sometimes to allow that club head to travel past your hands to sort of to speak uh, on the way through to kind of allow for that bounce to to play in and to and to give 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 your shots a little bit more loft yeah for sure and it's it's really funny now david lipsky by the way he can really pitch it and if you really want to understand the fundamentals i teach and believe it in a short game david is actually probably the best example luke luke is the best player an incredible short game player and does it really really well David, I started teaching at age 18, and he really exemplifies it. Um, so he's a good one to look at. And David's really funny. He always tells people that in short game, it's all about uh, proximity to pitch mark. Right. <laughs> which is his way of saying, I can spin it more than you can. So, um, but it is when you watch golf on TV. So I was taught the same thing as you. Let's keep that handle ahead to make good contact. And then I'm watching tour players, and there are there is tons of the head passing the hands in short game. Tons of it when you're watching golf on TV. And the reason they can get the club head to pass their hand is because they've oriented their circle of their path and their angle of attack in a way that it's going to bottom out at the ball. And they don't have to drag the handle to do that. And it it really is a myth because what I see, Sean, the more people drag the handle and lean it, the further back their divots are. They don't get them forward. But you actually have to get the club head releasing and kicking back out on plane to get your divot more forward or to get your, not your divot necessarily, but your bottom point more forward. So if you can, again, orient that thing, and, and the term I'll always use for a right-handed player, you will say, hear me say this ad nauseum in short game, is you have to get the head of the club going downwards, forward, and left, or in. Down, forward, and in. And everybody's wanting to swing the club from two inside to linearly at the target. So if you can get that club oriented in the right path with the correct angle of attack, you can let that club head pass your hands and all you're doing is exposing more bounce and creating more spin. And when you're looking at bunker play, I mean, Luke is probably one of the greatest bunker players I've ever seen. And uh, you've always obviously spent a lot of time around him. One thing I've heard from him that I really like about bunker play is to start with the, the shaft of the club, almost pointing backwards to really expose the face and to expose the, the bounce. What, what else do great bunker players kind of have in common and what do they share setup wise that we can learn from? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great one that you, you just got from Luke there. And, and that is really important. So one thing about short game, Sean, I, I always say short game is really about inefficiency. Okay. We're full swing. We're trying to maximize that smash factor with a driver, get it to 1.5 to get the golf ball to come off as hot as we can. 
in short game, I don't want it to come off hot. That's everybody who can't chip is when the ball comes out too squeezy, too hot. Mm. So if you think of a really efficient, strong driver position, it might be kind of a strong grip, um, straight left arm, a lot of tilt to the right, you know, or, or tilt behind the ball. Ball forward is is really that setup we see. So in bunker play, if we want to create a lot of inefficiency and a lot of spin where we can just swing harder and spin it more, then I almost want the opposite. So now I want to start seeing that handle behind the ball. I really want your spine stacked up. You get this kind of disjointed look of, again, handle back, right side or trail side high. It weakens your grip, really gets your trail arm on top. Um, But also in the setup, when you look at Luke, he is exposing so much grip, so much bounce before he grips it. Right, right. And you really need to do that in short game. And again, most people know, hey, I, I know I need to open the club and they grip it and they go, oh, wait, 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 Pat told me to put it open. So then they kind of lean the handle forward and out to open the face. What great bunker players do is they lay the handle back. They lay the club much more pancaked. It is slightly right of the target, but more than anything, it is flattened to the sky. Then they grip it. So you are gripping it off center on the grip to expose all that bounce. And to kind of go along with that, if if you see large divots uh, in, in the sand, if you're taking if you're taking out a lot of sand, you're digging pretty far. It's a pretty good indication that you're that you're not doing that. But if you if you're able to see some some thin uh, divots where you're able to to really kind of feel that bounce hitting and and kind of coming up immediately, then that's a pretty good sign that you're you're effectively doing that, right? For sure. And that's where we see everybody who struggles in bunker, A, 25 years of instruction, everybody who's bad at bunker, their divot is too far behind the ball. They need to get Mm. their divot more forward. All our time in a bunker is spent trying to teach the average player to get their divot more forward so it's more in front of the ball, less behind the ball. They're hitting too far behind. Um, So that really becomes a big part. Now, the other thing we've seen is because people don't expose enough bounce, when they hit the sand, it's too diggy. So then we we hit this big fat shot. We just trudge up a bunch of sand. It's no fun. So then people start feeling like, hey, I got to take less sand. I got to get kind of almost lifty here and just try to graze the sand. Great bunker players are really thumping downward and thumping into the sand aggressively. Mm. They're not scared of it. They're not trying to take less sand. They're trying to use the bounce and the way they release the club to create thinner divots while thumping downwards. Right. Right. So again, a lot of that becomes setup and becomes how much bounce you can expose in the setup, how much bounce you can expose in the backswing. And then you want to get after it. You want to thump that sand and let the bounce of the club create the thin divot. Right, right. No, no, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I I saw you recently spent a, a brief amount of time with Victor Hovland, just a couple hours or so in Phoenix. And that's a guy who he's an incredible ball striker, but it's kind of openly admitted that he isn't necessarily comfortable with uh, chipping the ball, as you you alluded to earlier, you, you have a lot of guys who who are in that category. H- how much of the short game is is mental, and, and how much of it is technique? With, with a guy like that who is who is obviously uh, so talented and able to to win on the PGA Tour. Yeah, and what we've seen, it's it's the same with the work I've done with Victor Perez, and you know Victor Hovland asked me to spend a day with him, and I think he's talked to quite a few different short game coaches and. He recognizes his short game is not good enough and it's very contact based. And, and we had a great day, saw a lot of improvement. I don't know how much he's necessarily stuck with it. We'll have to see. But um, I think one of the commonalities we see in, say, both Victor Hovland and Victor Perez is they are such great, strong ball strikers. These guys hit it 
unbelievably. They are, are so good. They've worked so hard at it. But conceptually, short game and full swing are totally different things with different objectives. Mm. So it is very common to see these guys who are great ball strikers struggle in short game because it's a whole different set of fundamentals and it's very foreign to what they've learned. I do also think there's a little bit of an aspect of guys like that. They just, they love to hit it. You know, they don't necessarily love to chip it. And a guy like Luke Donald and David Lipsky, they love to chip it and pitch it and bunker it. And so there, there is some difference there. Um, but again, we, we just see the same things there is that that really strong shaft position, the things that produce a great strike and full swing make the golf ball come out too low, too hot, with too much dig edge and short game. So part of what's made them great they have to undo a little bit in short game and not everybody necessarily has the ability to be able to compartmentalize that. Um, it was actually, I worked with Gary Woodland for a couple of years and this was back in kind of maybe 2013 to 15. We did a ton of short game and some putting and he really progressed a bunch. He won. He got a lot better. His stats got a lot better, but ultimately one of the things he struggled with is it was just so different than what he was trying to do in his full swing. And that was really hard to grasp how you had to just have these two sets of fundamentals. One was inefficient, one was efficient. And kind of transitioning to the, the full swing a little bit, I've heard Rory McIlroy talk about how he, he feels like what makes him a great driver of the golf ball makes him a, a poor wedge player from, you know, especially 75 to 120 yards into the hole. Speak to that a little bit. What, what is that mentally for a player? And what can somebody do if, if someone is a, a tremendous driver of the ball or, or a great iron player, but once they get a, a full wedge shot in their hand or they're around the greens, they're not able to to kind of compute that in their head? What what are some things that they're able to, uh, to transition to? You learn to drive it as far and as straight and as amazingly as Rory McIlroy. That's not necessarily going to be a skill set that produces a flatter ball flight with an iron, a consistent amount of spin and then a trajectory that you can hit every time, you know, it's just, they're, they're, they're different sets. And so I think players have just got to learn to control those both. And there's a reason that Luke Donald, who, who maybe doesn't hit it and he hits it further than people think, but you know, doesn't necessarily hit it far enough or straight enough is an amazing wedge player an amazing short game player. Uh, I had this conversation one time with Ian Baker Finch, you know, cause Ian was a guy who was really a great wedge player in short game. I learned a ton watching him. Um, but probably, especially for his height and build, didn't hit it as far and as well as as you would have guessed, but just a slightly different skill set. So I do think players have just got to constantly learn to be adaptable, to really have a, a mindset about getting better in all aspects of the game and really being exploratory and trying to learn what are the different skill sets for each. And then it does take, as we said, a special person to be able to compartmentalize that stuff in their brain and pull out the right things at the right time. Absolutely. That, that made a lot of sense. I like to ask guests, um, maybe a, a basic question to someone of, of your caliber, but something that you can maybe explain in, in, a, in a different way. I'd like to, you to kind of go between the difference of a, a strong and weak grip and some of the, the tendencies that, that tend to come out from those in the, in the, in the full swing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously we're going to define a strong grip as your, your top hand being turned very on top of the club, you know, where the, the top side of your hand is really facing up. You're going to really could be holding the club in the palm or fingers, but that top of your hand is really going to be facing the sky. And then a weak grip, obviously we're going to 
term it the other way where your palm gets turned more up or more directly on the side of the club. Those weak grip players are always holding it much more in their palm. So their hand, top hand feels turned under, not turned over. Um, you know, and, and we do see a bit of both from average players, but typically most new golfers and two new players, they grip it too much on the weak side. And the reason they do this is with the club in front of them, Sean, as they reach to the club, their hand instinctively turns under and grips the club from underneath where we really need them to keep their top arm on top of the club as they grip it and get the club really in their fingers with that top part of their hand facing more up to get it stronger. But anytime we see that weak grip, I mean, A, it leads to too open of a face and people just have trouble squaring the face. The other things we see with that are when you don't grip the club in the fingers, it really hurts your ability to hinge the club correctly. And we really want to be able to, in a good golf swing, hinge it in our wrist. Just basically, if you set up to a golf ball and you just started hinging the club up and down in your wrists only, okay, that's a really good feeling for the average player. When your grip is too weak, it's very hard to hinge it in the wrist. So those are players who tend to lift their arms, mm. you know, and they'll create a lot of bend in the elbows. It's inefficient. It doesn't create nearly as much speed and energy, and it doesn't allow you to rotate the face, which creates a lot of speed and energy and squares up the face. So I would say those are some of the most common things. And, and obviously that person's not going to hit it as hard. They're going to create too much of a slice ball flight. And we've got to always remember in golf, you know, that the number one way we make the ball start on line is through the face. Right. You know, that is right. always going to be the biggest determiner of start line and of curve is what you can do with the face. Much, I mean, path's important too, but the face is always going to win. Um, you know, so if we can get that grip correctly where we can really control the face, that's a real benefit. As far as the strong grip goes, and typically we're seeing strong grips from somebody who was a slicer and then got just enough knowledge to be dangerous and say, hey, if I really get my arm, my top arm cranked on top, my trail arm cranked underneath and that face looking canted closed, boy, I, my, I don't slice anymore. My ball goes a lot further, you know, and it just becomes hard sometimes to control the amount of hook. Um, but those people, I will say it's 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 funny. I, I taught a guy recently and. Who, who set up very, very strongly. And I said to him, I said, I'm guessing that at some point in the last few years, you were a slicer and you figured <laughs> out how to get rid of your slice. He's like, absolutely. I just know if I crank this thing this way, the ball doesn't slice. Um, you know, and again, one of the, the commonalities we see there is that ball hooks too much. It hit, runs and hits too hard. They can't hit it in the air. And a lot of times if their path is still a slicer's path, they just hit poles. Right, right. And and to finish on that point, I mean, there are a lot of great players throughout history who have had a strong or a weak grip. You have your, you know, Zach Johnsons or, or Jose Maria Olafables of the world, guys who are able to uh, to utilize that correctly. But as a teacher, at what point are you looking to change someone's grip? So for me, in any of that stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'm always asking the question why. So we're starting with your ball flight. We're starting with what's good, what's bad, what needs to improve with what, what do we need to make the golf ball do for you to be better? Then from there, we're working backwards from the impact situation to say, all right, what would help us achieve this better ball flight to help you lower your handicap and achieve your goals and be a better player? And ultimately, if we work that all the way back to the grip, then it's really something we want to do. And now there's, to your point, there's a, there is no one right grip. There's a lot of variance. There's been great players everywhere. A lot of times it needs to match your body type. It needs to match your swing type. 
you know, there are plenty of guys who are an amazing player with a weak grip, but you put them in a strong type and the way they move just would never match. And I will also be one of the first to say that teaching somebody from scratch, if you could teach a slightly strong grip, closed face, and teach that person to rotate hard, that is some great ball striking and some of the best ball strikers in history. It's a good way to play the game mm. for sure. Um, but I, I'm not afraid to change people's grips if I think it'll help them. And a lot of times for an average player who doesn't have time to really grind and hit a lot of balls and hasn't really figured out how to use range time and influence motor pattern changes the way a, a competitive player has, a lot of times you can really get a lot of bang for your buck out of a grip change. You can see, you learn to put your hands on there correctly and one shot later, you are, holy smokes, I've never hit a golf ball like that. The thing people have to work through with grip changes, that's really hard. It takes a little discipline. Now, the good thing is you can sit there and do it in your family room while watching TV or do it on your office while on a conference call, just putting your hands on the club, taking them off, put them on, take it off. But it's going to feel terrible at first. And I always tease people, Sean, terrible feeling awkward is not a bad thing. Right. <laughs> because any type of change, and especially when we put our the one connector to the club on differently, it is going to feel awkward. But I'll tease people, Sean, I'll say, hey, what you're doing that feels comfortable works so well, you're currently paying me to help you do it better. So let's not be scared of awkward. You know, awkward's a good thing. I love it when it feels different. To me, that means we are really creating some change and we're going to put some influence on the way you hit the golf ball. So, and again, I could teach you, hey, we all play with a buddy who has the worst looking grip and the worst looking swing. And it looks painful. You know, <laughs> it looks like an octopus who's fighting itself. And, but that guy thinks it feels great, you know, so we, we do anything enough times, it's going to feel fine. So let's just be disciplined. Let's take our hands on and off the clubs a bunch of times and learn that grip and go be a better player. You'll work through the awkward if you just get enough reps. Well, that's tremendous insight. And, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. And, uh, I really, really appreciate you. You've had such an, uh, incredible, uh, teaching career. We didn't even get into, uh, some of the, uh, details with, with with northwestern and everything but uh but a, a lot of your your current players now are are, are alums and, and the program is doing doing so well right now so uh but I, I really appreciate you uh coming on and we'll have to have have you on again soon yeah my pleasure thanks for having me always fun to talk golf thank you once again to pat goss for coming on the pod i thought that was a really cool conversation uh, one massive takeaway for me was maybe a simple one, but just how important setup is with chip pitching and chipping and how too many people put the ball way back in their stance with the handle of the club too far forward. If you struggle with bad contact around the greens, getting more into a neutral stance, the ball more in the middle with the club pointing at your belt buckle, that alone can make a huge improvement because the bounce is more available and there's just more forgiveness there. So give that a try if you have, if you have struggles with chipping and pitching. I also love this explanation of a weak and strong grip and how it relates to not just short game, but full swing as well. Next time you hold a golf club, for all of you who are right-handed, look at your left hand. Is your thumb directly on top of the club? Is it to the left or is it to the right? If it's to the left and you are a chronic slicer of the golf ball, or if it's to the right and you are struggling to get the ball airborne and everything is a full hook, the grip is typically a major reason why either of those things is happening. As Goss mentioned, you can play good golf with both a strong or a weak grip, but if you can't control the club phase, it's probably not going to work. A great drill, as Goss mentioned, stand like you are about to hit the golf ball and try to hinge your wrists upwards towards you. 
If you can't really move the club past knee height, you're dealing with a club face that is either open all the time or closed all the time. A strong grip, the club is going to be closed and your swing plane will tend to be a little flatter. And the opposite is true for a weak grip. It'll be a little open with a steeper swing plane. So keep that in mind as you understand your golf swing. Your, your grip dictates so much of what you are able to do. And for a lot of people, a change may be necessary if you want to see a better ball play. Thank you for joining us today on the Graph Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fairholm, and we'll see you again soon.